you've heard me talk, or if you talk to me very much at all, you know I am from a very small town in South Central Illinois called Neoga. Population 1700, grew up the preacher's kid in a really small town. About 15 minutes south was one of our nearest big towns. By big town, I mean at a hospital, a school district large enough for a football team, a mall, which no longer exists, like many malls, grocery stores that stayed open past 7 p.m. The big town I'm referring to is the town of Effingham, Illinois. Now, if you've driven through the Midwest at all, chances are at some point you have driven through Effingham. And no, it's not named after a bad ham sandwich. Effingham sits 90 minutes east of St. Louis and about two hours west of Indianapolis. I say you grew up in the cornfields in the middle of nothing. Two and a half hours, three hours south of Chicago, if you want to throw that one in there. The Chamber of Commerce calls it the cross or the crossroads of opportunity. And, and it has recently become known for this this giant cross. It was not there when I was growing up. Uh, It sits in the middle of a field where I-57 and I-70 converge, which is why if you've driven through the Midwest, you've probably seen it because two of the major interstates go right through there. It's now the site of youth rallies. There's a prayer walk. There are concerts, all sorts of things that you can do at the cross at Effingham, Illinois. But long before workers built the cross, which I hear to compete against the only larger cross in the United States, which you can find in Texas, stands um, where it stands, lighted up in, in a town outside the call of that calls itself the, the crossroads of opportunity. It was known for one of its residents. And let me introduce you to one of those residents, Granville Davis known by folks in South Central Illinois as Alley-Oop. Now, it's interesting, this is the only picture of Granville I can find on the internet. He passed away in 2001. It's very telling because if Granville had lived in a time of social media, you would all know Granville. There would be pictures of him everywhere. Notice that Granville's wearing a pink coat and notice he's wearing a pink gown or dress that could very well be a hospital gown. It's got like hearts or flowers on it. I guarantee it was a dress with with flowers. He was homeless. Even though word had it, he had family in town and some even said they were very, very wealthy. In the 70s, he started wearing women's bell bottoms and maternity shirts. By the 80s, when I have memories of him, he was wearing dresses and skirts. Sometimes they were like legit dresses and skirts, and other times they were clothes of whatever he made finding around. They could have been made from curtains. He would wear decorative things in his A hair. He would use whatever he could find to dress the way he wanted to dress. He was creative. A newspaper article written in his honor said this. Granville Eugene Davis step to the music that he heard. The adjectives to describe him are many. He was atypical, offbeat, outlandish, unorthodox, unconventional, and above else, singularly unique. Often you would see him riding his bicycle through town, but after too many accidents and too many mangled bikes, Granville took to getting around on foot. 
And when he walked, he walked with a sense of urgency. And this is what I remember as a small child. He walked with really long, deliberate, and very pronounced strides. More often than not, he'd be pushing a shopping cart piled high with some of his belongings or some treasure he found from who knows where. If it wasn't a shopping cart, it was something else, including a hospital gurney. There's a story that at one point, the mayor of Effingham bought him a one-way ticket to California, and he spent the next five days hitchhiking back to his hometown. There was always, there were so many explanations about why Granville was the way he was. Today, you may wonder if he was transgender. I don't know. There were some cruel stories. The most common story was that my mom, who was a nurse in the Effingham Hospital, St. Anthony's, said that he was a Vietnam veteran and he had severe head trauma. And that they, the word had it, he had a metal plate in his head. And that he was never the same after he came back from Vietnam. There are several online articles that quote him as saying, if women can wear pants, I can wear a skirt. He was featured in the television show Real People, for any of you who remember that. It was a magazine show that featured unusual people or they did unusual things. And I remember seeing him everywhere around town. He was always really loud. And he would make me a bit nervous as a child. Like, I remember seeing him at KFC, and I remember my brother screaming and running under a table. Um, Now, many said he just marched to the beat of a different drummer. Others were convinced, you know, he had those head injuries or whatever. There were so many explanations as to why Granville was the way Granville was, and we really don't know. Today, we're talking about someone who many probably said he just marches to the beat of a different drummer. Others probably were convinced he was suffering from a head injury. Many saw him for what he truly was, a prophet. He was a man who chose to live in the wilderness, eat and wear strange things, and spoke to thousands, baptizing them. That prophet served a great purpose in preparing the way for the one who would save us. His name was John the Baptizer. Now, you may have referred to him as John the Baptist, but scholars, meaning Derek, and the academic note of the day, (laughs) explain it's baptizer because of John's practice of baptizing people with his own hands. It was more customary to baptize yourself so that no one was defiled through touch. So now you know. In our text today, which comes through the first chapter of Mark, we learn about this baptizer who also happens to be a relative of Jesus. But first, let's set the stage a bit, okay? So if you were to talk about the book of Mark, it's the second of the four gospels, but was actually written first. And if you were to view the book of Mark as a movie scene, I can't get away from video references ever, the camera would be zoomed in on John the baptizer this entire scene. He's the focus. He's the subject of the scene. Now, after this scene, the rest of Mark is going to go to Jesus, but we open with it focused on Mark. 90% of Mark's content you'll also find in the other gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John. But Mark is a great starting place for anyone who knows little about Jesus. 
It's short, the, the style shorter, more direct sentences. It focuses less on speeches, more on actions, stories, and it loosely follows the chronological order of Jesus' life. In the video production world, we would call this well-paced. Scholars believe Mark's audiences, they were, they were likely Roman, so they were Gentiles, so Mark doesn't refer to the Old Testament as much as the other gospel writers who are writing to a Jewish audience, but there's an exception, and that's where we read today, where Mark not only quotes the Old Testament, he uses the Old Testament references in his explanations in clear and simple storytelling. So let's take a look. It's in verses two and three. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. That's from Malachi. And then we go to verse three, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. That's from Isaiah. A messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice calling, prepare the way. What we read today is an explanation of the one who prepared the way for the one who will save us. That was John's purpose in life. You see, he was the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and it's not the most talked about Sunday school story in the Bible, but it's a pretty cool one, and it's one of Suzanne's favorites, so we're going to read the whole thing. So we find it in Luke chapter, five, chapter 1, verses 5 through 19, and here it is. In the days when Herod was king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. He had a wife named Elizabeth. Both were good people in God's eyes. They observed all the commandments and laws of the Lord. The couple had no children because Elizabeth was unable, and now they were too old to conceive a child. One day, Zechariah was chosen to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. And while the people gathered outside to pray, Zechariah prayed inside and burned the incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. At first, Zechariah was afraid of what he saw. And the angel spoke to Zechariah, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, is going to give birth to a son and you will name him John. His birth will bring joy and gladness to you and many others. Your child will be great in God's eyes. He will be filled with the Spirit, and he will help others to love God. I love that. Then Zechariah spoke to the angel, how can this be true? My wife and I are much too old to have children. And the angel replied, I am Gabriel. I was sent to announce to you this good news. You could say there's some similarities to other stories in the Bible there, right? Zechariah and Elizabeth's ancestors, Abraham and Sarah, were also blessed with a child in their old age. They both had sons that were critical in fulfilling the covenant. And now as Zechariah and Elizabeth's son prepared the way for the actual savior, the angel would soon appear to Mary and Joseph, telling them of another miraculous birth. We can all see these connections now, but as this was unfolding, it's not something that's obvious. We sometimes don't see what's right in front of us. But it is interesting that people connected the dots that John was a prophet. They were highly interested. And what Tana read to us, we read that people traveled to the wilderness to confess their sins and have John baptize them in the Jordan River. 
It had been 400 years since the death of Malachi, the most recent prophet. They were excited. They had a prophet. They were, they were going to him. They related to him. He spoke their language. Not only did, we, did he speak their language, he looked like someone they had heard of. It was another prophet. John was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. And in 2 Kings, we hear about Elijah, the prophet, where he's described as a hairy man with a belt around his waist. So you have people throughout Judea accepting John the baptizer. He's drawing crowds and he's baptizing them. This is a guy who you'd think his ego could have swelled, right? But no, no. He didn't take the ball. He didn't run with it, make it all his own. He knew his purpose. His purpose was to prepare. And he did that with humility. Let's look at verses seven and eight again. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So baptism was not a new practice or idea to the Jews John was preaching to. They were familiar with the practice to converts. What was new about this idea was baptism for repentance. That's what he was referring to. It was a step toward what Jesus would bring. He would clothe us with the Holy Spirit. It was a step toward the one. It was preparing the hearts and minds. So I remember sitting in a company town hall meeting where they brought in like leaders from other Atlanta companies and the then president of Atlanta-based focused foods, Cat Cole, that's like Annie's, Cinnabon, McAllister's, Moe's, all those good places. Uh, she spoke about taking something over and whether it be a project or a team or anything, what she said about taking something over is that we often forget we then view it from the point we took it over. And then all of our references are always to from the point that we first saw it. And we forget that someone else prepared or laid the groundwork for where we are. Someone got it to the point that it is where you got it. You didn't do everything. There was a point, even though all your references go back to that point that you remember. What you see in the story of John the baptizer is a reminder of the prophets, the people, the promises, and the miracles that brought us to that point. And now here we are. John is taking us right to the front door of Jesus' arrival. He prepared hearts and minds. He reminded them that the repentance and forgiveness offered up to this point with the baptism, that that was just the beginning. There was so much more. A life with the Holy Spirit clothing us in an unending, unmerited grace. This week is the second Sunday of Advent. The Advent season reminds us of a time where people were waiting for the one who would stand at the door of our hearts and knock. It's a time to remind us to make room for the one who wants, to open, wants us to open the door. We need mentors wherever we are in our faith journey. Derek shared this a few weeks ago. Have someone behind you. Have someone with you. 
Have someone who's ahead of you who can help you grow and offer you wisdom. You can also find that in the classes that Derek and the church offer, parish groups. They're amazing places to live with others and take that journey. So we're going to go back to that movie scene analogy. That camera, as I said. The rest of the gospel, the camera focus, it's off that prophet. It's moved off that one who marches to the beat of another drummer, but he knew his purpose. It turns to Jesus. Where he'll spend the rest of his life with people sometimes welcoming him to his home and sometimes not. Still, he knocked. And continued to fulfill prophecies and eventually died on a cross and rose again for our salvation. We're going to go back now to someone else who marched to the beat of another drummer. The story of Granville, also known as Alley Oop. We're going to go back to Effingham, Illinois. And maybe what his purpose was. So this is the tombstone in a cemetery outside of Effingham in a small town named Watson. I did find it interesting some of those rich people in Effingham with the same last name were also buried in the same cemetery, so there may be some truth to the story. People weren't always nice to Granville. A few years before he passed, someone beat him so badly he was hospitalized. The article I quoted and read from earlier said this. But when he died, the line at his visitation was long. At his funeral, the minister shared the story of a young man who showed up at the visitation. He told Granville's sister some years before, I'm sorry, he told Granville's sister some years before he had fallen into a really dark spot and was planning on committing suicide. Seemingly out of nowhere, Granville showed up and started talking to him. The young man never finished the story, but whatever Granville had to share or tell that young man must have had a tremendous impact on his life. He showed up to the visitation to say he wouldn't be there if it weren't for Granville. The author of the article went on to say, sometimes there's God. So quickly. This Advent season, remember, Jesus is there at the door of your heart, wanting you to welcome him in. He's there wanting to work through you to prepare the heart of someone else who needs to let him in. The circumstances can vary. We don't always see what's going on right in front of our face, but he's knocking. The first verse in our text today says this is the beginning of the gospel or good news of Jesus Christ. Let's not forget gospel. It means good news. The good news that he's knocking so we can let him in. He got a new mercy, a new grace. Street corner preacher with the angry face. He got two years off for good behavior. Back in the neighborhood of working for the city. That's two old ladies and a junkie now. now. He can see for sure that his work is cut out. Though he walks through the shadows, he won't fear his neighbor. Back in the neighborhood of working for the Savior. Yeah. 
Seeks no 